and welcome to this edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone who has a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and are recording on Thursday the 9th of February 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill and today I welcome my fellow reader Kate Hudman and in the engineer's booth in the hot seat is Barry Hurd and I thank them very much for uh, coming down to Wilds Lane which is where we're recording today. The clerical uh, admin work is done by Carol Hartle and her team, for which we thank them too. Music is by Sheila Joins and The Thought for the Week by Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners, especially to Raymond Gerard. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate, entertain and actually warn, because there are so many scams going on these days, we do try and include any scam stories for you to be alert to. We have emergency telephone numbers, the thought for the week, we'll open the birthday book, and if we don't have yours, do let us know. And then we'll have the headlines from the past week, sunrise and sunset times, and I will read the obituaries after the final music. I need to say the service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wards Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA, or of course it can be added to your wallet. And we do thank sincerely anyone who has sent a donation. We're really grateful. In addition to the newspaper recordings, a reminder that we do record a magazine every couple of months and we have an extensive library of talking books. If you would like a book, please put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. We do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, not too many please, a compliment, Yes, please. Or an observation, a note or a message is great. So I'm going to uh, give you the uh, telephone numbers which may be useful. Here at Worcester Talking News, as I've said, 01905 767766. For NHS Direct, it's 111. And I will add that if you are over 70, and you haven't been called for a COVID vaccination, you can ring 119 to um, get an appointment to have your first vaccination. Out-of-hours medical assistance can be obtained between 6 and 8pm by ringing 0300 123 The Worcester Hub is 01905 765765. 765. Crime Stoppers is 0800 treble one. And if you need to contact Worcestershire County Council here to help, it's 01905 768053 and it's option 3. 
I'm going to ask Jane now if she will open the birthday book first and then read you uh, this week's headlines and sunrise and sunset. Hello. Um, well, Sonia Duggan had a, has a birthday on the 9th. Um, I think she was mentioned in last week's birthdays, but that doesn't matter at all. We hope she has a lovely day. Um, there isn't anybody else um, after that and uh, until uh, right at the end of February, almost the beginning of March. But uh, if anyone has birthdays and we don't know about them, please don't hesitate to let us know and we'll include you in our birthday list. Um, and very happy birthday to, to anybody that that may include. These are the headlines of the newspapers uh, we'll be reading articles from. Um, first one is Thug Faces Prison for Two Assaults. Con Men Preyed on the Elderly. Hospital Chief Having Vaccine Early Was Not Wrong. Cruel Thugs Smash Up Pub Beer Garden. South Africa Variant Is Here. The old fire station is set to be luxury flats. I'll also add, while um, I'm just read, having read the headlines, that the sunrise uh, is 7.37am at the moment and the sunset is 5.11pm. The first headline was Thugs fa Thug Faces Prison for Two Assaults. A hooded thug who beat a man unconscious down a dark Worcester alley and stole his wallet when he was out cold is facing a long prison sentence for that gang assault and an even more serious attack. As Fanjar Kiani appeared over video link at Worcester Crown Court from HMP Brinsford following two different attacks, one a brutal gang attack in Worcester and the other a more violent attack in Malvern. The 21-year-old of Ludstock Close has yet to be sentenced for assault, occasioning bodily, actual bodily harm and theft of the wallet following the attack in Black Horse Walk in Lowesmore on March 26, 2019. Kiani was part of a gang of five who pummeled Kester Jardine so badly that he was left with no memory of the attack, waking up in hospital. However, the defendant has also already admitted a more serious charge, grievous bodily harm with intent, which was committed in Malvern on September twentieth, 2019. This indictment is also said to involve two further counts aside from the GBH, this time of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. Details of the attacks in September were not disclosed in open court, but are said to involve a 19-year-old co-defendant, Brandon Taylor, who has a care of address at St Paul's Hostel in Worcester. The case was adjourned to see if matters could be resolved in relation to Taylor, who will admit Section 20 wounding, but not Section 18 wounding, wounding with intent, in relation to yet another attack on February the 21st, 2019. Taylor has already admitted a Section 18 on September the 20th, 2019, but a further count of wounding with intent from February 2019 has yet to be resolved. Taylor also faces charges of robbery, two thefts, two assaults occasioning actual bodily harm, breach of a criminal behaviour order and common assault, said Michael Aspinall, prosecuting. Jason Aris for Kiani said it made sense to wait until matters involving his co-defendant could be resolved so the two could be sentenced together and to attribute their individual culpability.
Kiani also faces being sentenced for possession of cannabis with intent to supply, also from September 2019. Simon Hunker for Taylor said a comprehensive pre-sentence report was already available for his client as requests were made by counsel for the case to be adjourned. Mr Hunker is also seeking a psychological report in relation to his client to assist with any sentencing hearing. Judge Nicholas Cartwright, who considered sentencing, sentencing Kiani on his own, said it was a balancing exercise on his part because, on the other hand, Kiani was anxious to know the outcome of his sentence hearing. Inevitably, it's going to be a custodial sentence of some length, but he obviously might like to know when he might expect to be released, said the judge. However, he added it was important the two men, both facing the same allegation, should be sentenced together. Judge Cartwright sent the sentence hearing down for a half day on Friday, March the 5th. We reported on a previous occasion how a witness saw Kiani reach into the victim's pocket and remove his wallet as he lay unconscious. So far, 26-year-old Martin Coffey of Maple Avenue has been sentenced for assault occasioning actual bodily harm at Worcester Crown Court. He was jailed for 22 months. Kiani and Taylor both admitted causing grievous bodily harm with intent and assault, occasioning actual bodily harm following further attacks on September the 20th last year when they appeared over video link from HMP Brinsford last December. A hospital worker allowed his bank account to be used to launder cash stolen from vulnerable elderly people in Worcestershire. Barreto Osvaldo da Costa admitted money laundering, allowing £7,500 stolen in a courier fraud to go through his bank account. The 39-year-old appeared at Worcester Crown Court uh, with links to a larger scam in which con men posed as police officers investigating fraud to steal from vulnerable people, some in their 80s. The cash transferred into De Costa's account in 2016 was stolen from two elderly victims, one from Pershaw. The money was then transferred into another account and emptied. The defendant was arrested at the airport on his way to Portugal after he bought a one-way ticket. West Mercia Police declined an application for a custody photo of the defendant because he received a custodial sentence of under a year in length. The defendant himself said, I would not be happy if this happened to my mother. Judge Nicholas Cartwright had already jailed several of the gang, including Mohammed Talakdar and Siam Hussein, both put behind bars for eight months for money laundering. But Judge Cartwright's sentences were quashed on appeal in July 2019. The Court of Appeal's ruling meant both men walked free, a factor the judge was mindful of when sentencing De Costa, who, like them, was used to launder the cash from the fraud. The judge said... The fraud underlying this money laundering was of the very worst kind imaginable. Fraudsters would ring their victims, claiming to be police officers from a fraud investigation team, reassuring them by telling them to ring 101 or 999 to confirm their false claims. 
The fraudsters, however, remained on the line, telling their victims they had been put through to Scotland Yard, even posing as police receptionists to earn the complete confidence and trust of their victims. They were told that fraudsters in London had copies of their bank cards to lure victims into transferring money into what they were told was a safe account. Victims were even threatened with arrest themselves if they obstructed the police investigation and encouraged to make false statements to their banks. In other instances, people were asked to hand over the cash directly to a courier who collected it from them. Judge Cartwright said of the case, fraud does not get more serious than this. The judge noted that up until then, Da Costa had led a blameless life and had no previous convictions, describing him as being of previous positive good character. Da Costa of Five Acre Close, Thornton Heath, Surrey, who appeared over video link from HMP Hewell, was sentenced to nine months in prison, suspended for two years and ordered to complete 90 hours of unpaid work. He was ordered to pay £750 costs. He apologised to the victims from prison where he has been remanded for the last three weeks. Imposing, Despite imposing a suspended sentence, the judge said, I still hold the same view I did when I dealt with Messrs. Talukdar and Hussein. The need for a deterrent sentence is a powerful consideration in cases such as this. However, the judge said it would not be right to impose an immediate term of imprisonment on De Costa, given the judgment from the Court of Appeal on Talukdar and Hussein. In ordering De Costa to pay costs, he said, You were going to get the flight to Portugal. When you were arrested, plainly you had enough money to pay for an airline ticket. A county council chief accused of queue jumping by having a spare Covid vaccine has said he did nothing wrong. Paul Robinson, the chief executive of Worcestershire County Council, was criticised in The Sun after it emerged that he and Jonathan Fitzgerald Guy, the council's assistant director for transformation and commercial, had received spare jabs despite neither being classed as high risk. Speaking to the Worcester News, Mr Robinson said that although he regretted the controversy and reputational damage caused by the issue, if he was offered the vaccine again under the same circumstances, he would take it. He said, I don't mind people talking about whether we should or shouldn't have had the vaccine, but I think it's important that people talk about that around the facts and actually what occurred. If people want to debate the facts about who should have vaccines, they need to do it on the facts, and actually lots of what is being put out there now is just completely untrue. On a personal level, I believe that vaccines are important. I trust the science, and it's an important thing to do in terms of ending the COVID position that we're currently in. However, what I have always said, even before all this media attention, is that I would only take the vaccine if we were formally offered it via the NHS and in an official way, so that there was no accusation of queue jumping. So it's very interesting that this should all have blown up when actually the thing I had absolutely made sure of in terms of processes at the council is that we would not be accused of that. 
The offer to have the vaccine came as an invite from work through my official work computer. It came out officially by the NHS through the CCG and was then sent out by our HR department to, I think, 103 people, including me. The way in which we were offered the vaccine and why it came to us is to do with a number of factors. The Joint Committee on Vaccines and Immunisations is the national group which decide who can and who cannot have vaccines and most people are aware of the widely publicised priority groups. NHS staff, the over 80s, people with significant underlying health conditions and people in care homes. But within that guidance from the CCG, it includes health and social care staff, either within the NHS or the local authority. Now, that's very, very key in terms of what did we get offered, why, why did we get offered the jab? People have said, and I've read all the comments, why didn't you go to a policeman? Why didn't, why didn't it go to a policeman? Why didn't it go to firefighters or teachers? And that is because we couldn't. The national guidance from their JVCI says it can only go to those special groups I have mentioned above. The County Council is a health and social care provider. We run adult social care and children's social care. We run all of the responses to COVID through our emergency planning. I am also directly managing public health. All of our frontline people that were eligible have had the jab or been offered the jab. And that's over a thousand people. The place where they were delivering the jabs was the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch and the NHS decided that that particular site was only for key workers from the NHS and the County Council staff. Members of the public were not allowed to go there for their vaccine. We didn't make that decision. So when you see the comments about why couldn't you give it to the elderly person next door or why couldn't you give it to somebody in Redditch, they couldn't because it, of the site not being open to any people other than staff. So that's the issue. We had already done our frontline people who were allowed to be done. Yes, there are other frontline workers in the council, but they're not in the category and therefore cannot be put forward for the vaccine. They were closing down the Alex Hospital in two days. There was only two days to go. They had opened the last pack of vaccines and you cannot move the vaccine. It must be kept in the fridge. They took the last pack out and were closing the staff site because they had inoculated everybody within the eligible group. So when people say, why didn't you give it to the cleaner at the hospital or the porter? It's because they've had it long before we were offered. What some people seem to have forgotten in their mind is that somebody rang me up and said, the vaccine is available, Paul. And I ran up the road and had this thing stuck in my arm. In reality, I was sent an invitation by the NHS alongside 103 others in our organisation and I had to book in in the same way as everyone else does. When asked, having seen the controversy, if he could go back in time, would he still take the vaccine? Mr Robinson said, yes, absolutely I would. It wouldn't have changed my position at all. Am I concerned about the controversy it caused and the reputational damage to me personally and to the council? Absolutely. But in terms of our decision, did we do anything that took us outside of the JCVI guidance? Absolutely not. And that has been confirmed. We had offered it to all of our people internally, so all the ones that we could. If I wasn't allowed to have the vaccine, I wouldn't have been offered it. This is the fundamental issue. The guidelines come from the CCG, not from us. 
If I wasn't one of the people covered by those guidelines, I wouldn't have taken it. It was always my intention to, until I was given an official invitation, that's always been my position. I thought that would come through my own doctor sometime in the future, but it came through my employer. I did check. I did ask the HR manager to go back to the CCG and say, does this mean us and or doesn't it? And they said, yes, it does. A very long follow-up story to that part two was that, in fact, it was leaked by his 36-year-old deputy on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) (laughs) A pub manager has slammed the drunken idiots who smashed up the beer garden she and her team had spent months creating, ready for when her business can open again. Amy Sutton says the vandals destroyed tables and screens between seats, as well as ashtrays. She said she suspects the culprits are people who have been using the outside seating area of the Barn Owl in Warnden as a place to gather during the lockdown, in breach of the rules. General Manager Miss Sutton, 38, said what the vandals had done to her pub was soul-destroying. Miss Sutton said... It is really frustrating. The tables have been destroyed. The new outdoor seating area has been left in a state. There's litter everywhere. The screens have been knocked out of place. And all the hand-painted ashtrays have been smashed. During the summer, me and the team spent weeks and weeks getting the garden ready for the community to come and enjoy. We have one of the biggest beer gardens in Worcester, and we so desperately wanted to make it a nice place for everyone. We created a covered area so people could eat outside and sanded down all the benches and gave them a new coat of paint. We tended the grass and jet-washed the whole place. It looked fantastic. It really did. To see how it is now is soul-destroying. I don't know why anyone would do this. They've ruined it for everyone else. I don't mind people coming in and sitting on the benches if they really want to, but don't trash the place. The police have been informed and are coming to investigate. We will press charges if they find the culprits. I think they should own up and come and help us fix their mess. Miss Sutton said repairing the damage would take a lot of work. This is a massive job. It's not just a two-minute litter pick. Things will need fixing, repainting, cleaning and replacing, she said. This project was months in the making and has taken just minutes to destroy. It is another cost we just didn't need in these difficult times. I feel frustrated and deflated by it. I'm really proud of my pub, my team and everything we do. I don't want to see people treating the pub like this. I hope we can get to the bottom of it and then I can get to cleaning it all up and getting ready to reopen. Pubs, of course, are currently closed due to the national lockdown and it is not yet known when they will be allowed to reopen. A strain of the South African variant of Covid was found in the city last week, with the number being described as very small. Over the weekend, tests were carried out on people living and working in the WR3 area of the city at the White Hart in Fernal Heath, 
that all slots were full as of Saturday evening. Such was the huge response to the call for getting tested, which was described as amazing. A second testing site has opened up at Six Ways Stadium in Warriors Way, Worcester, to help in the efforts to tackle the infection. A statement on Worcestershire County Council's Facebook page stated, A new test site dedicated to identifying cases of the new South African variant of COVID-19 will be opening at Six Ways Stadium from 8am. Tests are currently for people who are showing no symptoms over the age of 18 and living or working within a specific postcode area. Parking will be available at the site. The Director for Public Health in Worcestershire, Dr Catherine Cobain, said, I want to thank the residents of these areas for answering our call to get tested and for fully embracing this testing programme. It is designed to help us stop the, va- the spread of the South African variant. Testing allows us to identify people who may not even know they have it so that they can quietly and quickly self-isolate and keep others safe from the virus. It is fantastic to see so many residents wanting to do this. Like any complex and multi-agency system, we have had some teething problems and we apologise to anyone affected by these. We have requested further support, which will be available to us shortly, and our teams are working round the clock to ensure the testing available is fully open by early next week. To reassure everyone, I should also add that testing is going to be available for two weeks, so there will be plenty of time to book and be tested over the coming days. Testing is continuing in a Worcester suburb after it was confirmed the South African strain uh, has been found. This is just an extra uh, item on this uh, following on uh, on Monday. Uh, Residents have been continuing to receive their coronavirus tests at the White Hart after the news which was announced late on Friday. The new strain first reported in South Africa has been detected in small numbers across the UK, including the WR3 area of Worcester. According to health authorities, these cases cannot be traced back to international travel. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director for Public Health in Worcestershire, said the UK has one of the best genomic systems in the world which has allowed us to detect the variant originating in South Africa here in Worcestershire. I urge everyone offered a test to take it, take it up to help us to monitor the virus in our communities and to help suppress and control the spread of this variant. The most important thing to do is self-isolate if you have symptoms. This stops you spreading the virus and will help us to reduce the spread of the variant. Please limit your number of contacts, wash your hands regularly and thoroughly, keep your distance and cover your face. Please take advantage of the testing being offered. We thank everyone for their patience and for working with us on keeping Worcestershire safe. The city is currently in its third lockdown, with no end in sight until at least March. A spokesman for the County Council said there is no evidence to suggest this variant is more serious than others or that the regulated vaccine would not protect against it and that testing will, in combination with measures such as hand, face, space and lockdown measures, help to suppress and control the spread of the virus while enabling a better understanding of the new variant. All cases are now self-isolating and contact tracing has taken place to trace their contacts and ask them to self-isolate. 
Working in partnership with NHS Test and Trace, every person over the age of 18 living in the WR3 postcode and some WR9 postcodes is strongly encouraged to take a COVID-19 test this week, even if they're not showing symptoms. To find out if your postcode is included in this test and for more information, please visit worcestershire.gov.uk slash COVID-19 variant. Testing is available to anyone over 18 who lives within walking distance of the White Heart and has no symptoms and also obviously to the rugby ground as well. Um, there's no car parking at the White Hart, so only use this testing site if you live within Fernal Heath or are in safe walking distance. If this site is not available to you, please wait for the drive-through testing site planned for later in the week or the door-to-door testing that will become available. To use the centre, please book online at Worcestershire, as I've just said, worcestershire.gov.uk. You will need to show a booking confirmation email to attend the test centre for your test. Anyone who has had symptoms should not attend this centre and should book online in the normal way, gov.uk-coronavirus-test. Dr Susan Hopkins, Chief Medical Advisor for NHS Test and Trace, said, As part of our proactive sequencing work, we know that the new variant of COVID-19, first detected in South Africa, has been identified in a number of areas across England. A small proportion of these cases have no link to international travel, suggesting that there are some cases in the community. In response to this, we are ramping up testing in targeted areas so we can gather more information and effectively monitor any further community transmission. Meanwhile, response to the appeal for residents to get tested for COVID-19 who are living and working in the WR3 area of the city has been amazing, says the council. And the final headline story from actually today, February the 9th, is about the fire station, where plans are underway to turn the old fire station in the city centre into luxury apartments in a multi-million pound redevelopment. The transformation of Worcester's historic fire station in Copenhagen Street, which has been derelict for almost six years, will commence this spring after the building was taken over by the property development company Guthrie Roberts this month. Ben Roberts, managing director of Guthrie Roberts, said, We have some inspiring plans to develop the site into a mix of residential and commercial use. Our plans include approximately 28 luxury contemporary apartments, a mix of one, two and three beds to provide options for a broad range of buyers. We intend to have an exciting commercial unit on the ground floor and there will be a novel city garden for residents, external walkways, a courtyard for private car parking and luxurious interiors. The company will maintain the external facade of the building, including the symbolic fire station entrance bays. We're also seeking planning permission for a breathtaking attic conversion, creating a third floor of domestic dwellings, said Mr Roberts. The commercial space will be accessed from Copenhagen Street, where the current fire engine bay entrances will be renovated to create eye-catching frontages, said Mr Roberts. 
This is a very desirable location with the High Street adjacent and Copenhagen Street being the main pedestrian thoroughfare from the river to the city centre. We hope to make best use of the annex building with a modern addition on the top floor, creating a deluxe penthouse apartment with stunning views. Our plans carefully consider parking, green space and sustainability, encompassing a landscaped city garden and electric car share scheme for a, for a portion of the car park. We are exploring renewable energy supplies such as air source heat pumps and solar PV panels. The building which has been left empty since fire chiefs relocated in 2015 was built between 1939 and 1941 by Percy Thomas who also designed the former police station opposite. Mr Roberts said the company has consulted widely with the local community councillors from Worcester City and Worcestershire County Council and will continue to update them regularly. Whilst the name for the commercial side of the site will re retain the iconic old fire station status, the company is also asking for members of the public to choose their favourite name for the residential side from a list of 11 names. Some of the names are chosen for a deep historical connection with Worcester and the fire station's previous uses, which are Sabrina Court, Mill House, Weaver House, Weaver's Yard, Haffron House, Shire Court, St Albans House, Faithful Place, Saxon Court, Bridport House and the Bridyard. And there is uh, an email to vote for one of the suggested names, but I would perhaps suggest that you contact your city councillor. And uh, now we'll carry on with the rest of the week's news. Now some other stories you may enjoy. How utterly magnificent. Otters are back. A family of otters have once again been spotted playing in the debris under Worcester Bridge. The video shows two otters playing in the debris built up against the bridge. The Worcestershire Wildlife Trust believes otters are living in almost every waterway in the country. Back in November, otters were spotted swimming in the brook in Gallivelt Park in Worcester. The furry, furry mammal has been struggling to survive in the wild as their natural habitats were destroyed by intensive farming and pollution. However, these sightings indicate that the quality of Worcestershire's waterways is improving and food, such as fish and small amphibians, is much more plentiful than it was 50 years ago. Many of our readers were pleased to see the otters frolicking among the debris, but not all. Adairan commented on worcestershire.co.uk site, You are joking, right? Full of fish until the otters decimate them. You have introduced an apex predator into the food chain that will wipe out our native fish stocks. Look at the River Team, for instance. It used to be full of large barbel and chub, all gone. A friend has a pool near Pershaw that was full of huge koi carp for years. Otters travelled three miles overland from the Avon and wiped out every one of them. The pool is now empty of fish. Bring back otter hunts? I don't think so. <laughs> 
St Richard's Hospice staff are delighted Worcestershire County Cricket Club will support the cause as its Charity of the Year for 2021. The partnership will see the charity work with the club, based at New Road, on projects including its Elephant Art Trail, Worcester's Big Parade. Tricia Cavell, fundraising director at the hospice, said... We are delighted to be chosen as Charity of the Year by the county's iconic cricket club and can't wait to work with the team on some exciting projects. The past year has been hugely difficult for all of us due to the pandemic and at St Richard's we face many challenges. One such challenge is raising the funds we need to provide our care while our shops are closed and with fundraising events postponed or cancelled. But, thanks to the incredible support of individuals and organisations such as the Cricket Club, we are heartened and can look to the future with hope. This partnership offers an incredible chance to work with the club and its players to raise much-needed funds and the profile of St Richard's. We are very proud to be supported by such a wonderful sports club. David Hoskins, Worcestershire County Cricket Club Head of Commercial and Operations, said Over many years, players and staff have provided support and raised funds for various worthwhile organisations. St Richard's Hospice is the latest organisation we are proud to lend our support to and link up with for the next 12 months, with the view to helping to raise considerable funds for such a worthwhile charity. There was a special 104th birthday surprise for a Worcester war hero. Private Arthur Rollings celebrated another milestone birthday at South Hayes Care Home in London Road, with a visit from a watchman from the Staffordshire Regiment Association and a drummer from the Mercian Regiment. Private Rawlings served in the 1st Battalion South Staffordshire Regiment between 1939 and 1946. In December 1940, he was involved in Operation Compass and in June 1942 he was involved with Field Marshal Montgomery's 8th Army in other major battles in the North Africa campaign such as Tobruk and El Alamein. In early 1944, he was sent to serve as an air landing unit with the Chandit's second exhibition landing behind Japanese lines in Burma. This night landing of the March the of March the fifth, 1944, by glider, pitched Private Rawlings into the thickest of hand-to-hand combat, with enemy constantly at nothing more than bayonet point. Fighting over mountains in dense jungles and waist-deep water. Close personal combat was the order of the day. The man known fondly as Uncle Arthur remained in this environment until the end of the war and in 1946 he was posted to India before returning to the UK where he went back to work at Worcester Porcelain. He was made foreman and was there until he retired. Retirement, however, was not for private Rawlings as he became a gardener for many years at the Diglis House Hotel on the banks of the River Severn. Speaking about his birthday celebrations, a spokesman for the Mercian Regiment said, It was our great honour to be invited along to mark this day by visiting him and presenting him with some birthday gifts from the Staffordshire Regiment Association and the Mercian Regiment. 
The Mosque of Omar picture presented to him with the personal handwritten note on the back says it all. True fighting spirit. Hats off to Uncle Arthur. Worcester MP Robin Walker has praised the volunteers at Worcester Talking News for their work over the past year to help blind and visually impaired people stay in touch with local and national news. Well, local really. The charity based at Colin Chance House has existed since 1978 and its work has been particularly valuable over the past year as many people have been forced to stay at home due to the coronavirus pandemic. Volunteers at Worcester Talking News provide regular recordings of current affairs and community news stories. In addition to this, they host a large collection of audiobooks which service users are able to borrow free of charge. Mr Walker has previously visited Colin Chance House to meet volunteers and has provided a recording so that listeners could hear a report directly from their local MP. He said... Worcester Talking News has been a great tool for people who are blind or visually impaired since it began over 40 years ago. Without their sight, people can understandably feel isolated from the rest of the community. But this resource ensures regular access to news and current affairs. Coronavirus has added to everyone's feeling of isolation, including people who are blind and partially sighted which is why the service Worcester Talking News provides uh, is more important now than ever. The service is only possible thanks to the committed team of volunteers who deserve praise for their work, which improves lives in Worcester and the wider area. And that report follows a visit in recent months by Robin Walker. The county's health bosses have added their tributes to the former chairman of Health Watch, Peter Pinfield, who died on January the 29th. In his role as chairman of Health Watch Worcestershire, the county's independent watchdog for all health and social care services, Peter played a pivotal role in ensuring that NHS organisations involved patient and public views in the design and delivery of local services. Simon Trickett, Chief Executive of NHS Herefordshire and Worcestershire, CCG, said, This is really sad news for Worcestershire. We have lost an exceptional man with huge knowledge, experience and enormous insight. Most of all, Peter was a really lovely man who supported and championed health and care services. He was always challenging when he needed to be, when he needed to be but was also able to empathise with a lot of the challenges that we faced. I can't think of anyone else who has had the impact that he has had on local public services over such a long period of time, always making sure that we focused on patients and the wider community. We are all devastated to lose his input, support and friendship, but he leaves an extremely strong legacy and I hope that his family in particular are really proud of everything that he achieved. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said Peter was a tireless champion of patients and carers in Worcestershire and he was dedicated to making sure they had a say in any decisions about how the health services were planned or delivered. In his role as a critical friend to our trust, he was hugely supported, supportive of our efforts 
to improve services for patients, but he was also prepared to challenge us if he felt we needed to do better. He will be greatly missed, and he leaves behind a great legacy, and I'm sure that his HealthWatch colleagues will build on what he has helped to achieve. Sarah Duggan, Chief Executive of the Trust, said, I am so sad to hear this news. Peter was such an incredible person who committed so much time to improving services and representing local people. Our sympathies go to Peter's family, friends and colleagues. Peter worked incredibly hard to ensure the voice of patients were at the heart of local health care. He was a true champion for patients and carers across Worcestershire. And now I'm going to open Michael Grundy's Memory Lane, um, which was published in 1987. And it then was 100 years since the death of Jenny Lind. Uh, She was known as the songbird, Swedish songbird, and she nested in Malvern. So 100 years ago, the legendary nightingale died at Malvern, her adopted hometown. She was the Maria Callas of her day, enjoying world fame and universal popularity as the supreme soprano. But she also gave her talents freely to help many worthy causes. For instance, she performed two subscription concerts in Worcester in 1849, raising enough money to add a substantial chapel and other urgently needed facilities to the city's Royal Infirmary which are still in regular use today. She was born Johanna Maria Lind in Stockholm on October the 6th, 1820, and displayed remarkable singing prowess at a very early age. Her first stage appearance was at the age of only 10, and she was an overnight success in March 1838, when, as an 18-year-old, she sang a leading role in De Freischutz at the Stockholm Opera House. Triumphs throughout Europe quickly followed, and her extraordinary popularity soon saw her affectionately tagged the Swedish Nightingale. Yet, at the age of 29, she caused a big shock when she turned her back totally on the world of opera. Being deeply religious, she had never liked the theatre on moral grounds. Jenny devoted herself instead to singing in oratorios and concerts. Regular visits to England brought a rapid love of this country, and after her marriage in Boston, USA in 1852 to German-born Otto Goldschmidt, her accompanist, she returned to Britain and became naturalised. Her husband founded the Bach Choir and was vice-principal of the Royal Academy of Music, while Jenny became the first professor of singing at the nation's Royal College of Music. Searching for a home in the country, the Goldschmidts bought Winds Point near the British camp on the Malvern Hills and lived there for the last years of their lives. Madame Lind Goldschmidt, as Jenny insisted on being known, worshipped regularly at Little Malvern Church and made her last public appearance on stage at the former Royal Spa Hall in West Malvern on the 23rd of July, 1883. It was another charity performance, this time in aid of the Railway Servants Benevolent Fund. 
She died on November the 2nd, 1887, at the age of 67, a centenary marked uh, that week in 1987. She was buried in Malvern Cemetery at Wilton Road. Memorials to her were placed in Westminster Abbey and in Stockholm's main park, while a large plaque in the main foyer of Worcester Royal Infirmary honours her great benevolence. A nice sport. Rugby and American football in the city of Worcester are to join forces as Worcester Rugby Football Club announced a new partnership with the Worcestershire Black Knights, the county's very own American football team. When sport recommences, the Knights will relocate from their current base in Purdiswell to Westerns Fields as Worcester Rugby Club attempt to make a significant step in becoming a sporting hub for the county and local community. After enjoying a significant growth in terms of playing numbers and teams in the last few seasons, Worcester Rugby Club will now welcome players and coaches from the Knights to train, play and socialise at the high-quality community facility. The Knights play their season in the summer, and Worcester Rugby Club have seen it fit for the American football side to utilise their facilities in the club and have worked hard to provide while the rugby club are on their summer break. James Stiles from the Worcestershire Black Knights said, It is our firm hope that moving to Worcester Rugby Club will allow the Black Knights' development to continue. The synergy between rugby and football is strong, and in time, player crossover could be key to a successful partnership. Moving to Worcester Rugby Club also provides the club with a home rather than just a facility and we look forward to getting involved with club events, making full use of the fantastic facilities on offer and establishing the Black Knights' presence as a successful long-term partnership. George Gidlow, wide receiver for the Worcester Knights, added, I cannot wait to get back to playing football again. To have somewhere new to play and train as well just makes it even more exciting. Worcester Rugby Club chairman Stephen Lloyd added, It's fantastic news to be welcoming the Worcestershire Black Knights to the family. Diversity is a wonderful thing and we are very much looking forward to seeing them play and socialise at our club. Finally, there is a home in Worcester for them and we are excited by the future we can share together. The Black Knights play in the Worcester in the, sorry in the British American Football Association SFC two Central, but the twenty twenty campaign was wiped out due to COVID and the club have not played a fixture since twenty nineteen. They are hoping this season will go ahead as planned around Easter time, but the club are awaiting more confirmation from BAFA. Despite the uncertainty, the club are calling on anyone wishing to join the team to get in touch with Ed Perslow at secretary at worcestershireblacknights.co.uk. Uh, Warriors head coach Jonathan Thomas admits his side were naive in the 41-24 defeat to Leicester Tigers. Five tries from the hosts condemned Worcester to another defeat that leaves them a single point above the bottom of the Gallagher Premiership. Premiership sorry. Thomas said ill-discipline enabled the hosts to play the way they wanted, using the driving maul from close range to create chances. Tigers scored four of their five from the driving maul 
and Thomas puts it down to his side being naive. We are disappointed, he said. We felt like we were prepared well for this game and mentally we were really clear about the way we wanted to play. Discipline was going to be important today <clears throat> and in that first half we were really physical but it was our ill-discipline that was giving them their territory. We gave Leicester the game they wanted to play, which was naive from us. Four of their five tries came from penalties that led to line-outs, which led to mauls, which led to tries. It really is naivety. You cannot talk about it in the week and then not do it at the weekend. The loss means Warriors have still won just once this season, not including Harlequin's forfeit. And Thomas said the talk needs to start happening on the pitch. We are at the start of our journey, he said. As long as you learn your lessons along the way, then you don't make them again. But unfortunately for us, we haven't learned from those first 20 minutes last week and we have given it to Leicester on a plate. The scoreboard sounds like Tigers are a much better team than us. But I really don't believe that. We have just been naive about the game and given them the opportunities. Warriors return to Six Ways next weekend against Wasps, which is at 1pm on Sunday, as they try to stop the run of defeats. Their only win in the Premiership this season came on the opening day against London Irish and apart from the walkover win handed to them because Harlequins could not field a team, it's been seven straight league losses. A fact-finding meeting has been held over the potential for homes to be built on the site of a former hotel. Around 100 people logged into the virtual meeting to hear about plans put forward for the listed Raven Hotel in Droitwich, which is, if agreed, would be partly demolished to make way for 51 new homes. Speaking after the meeting, Councillor Alex Sinton, who is the leader of Droitwich Spa Town Council and Vice-Chair of Witchhaven District Council, said the meeting was positive and addressed some of the rumours flying around on internet with hard facts. The presentation was very good from the developer who comes from Droitwich and everyone was very polite, although forthright with questions, which is how a meeting like this should be. It was a fact-finding meeting, and what I would say, if anyone has any objections, to now lodge them on the planning portal website. It was different from the meeting online via Zoom, but around 100 people were present, and I think virtual meetings are the way forward. Under the proposals, the central part of the St Andrews Road Hotel, which is Grade 2 listed and dates back to the late 16th century, will be kept, as well as some of the later buildings. The plan to build up to 51 homes, which includes a mix of flats, terraced, detached and semi-detached homes, as well as space for a bar and restaurant, was backed in 2018 by the council. The closed hotel has fallen into a shocking state of disrepair and pictures emerged on social media late last year showing the extent of the damage. Two properties in Worcester were forcibly broken into by police armed with drug warrants. The drug raids took place in Moore Street on January the 3rd after police received a tip-off that drug dealing may be taking place. A man was arrested on recall to prison and a number of items, including multiple mobile phones, were seized. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said 
City and cathedral officers took action regarding drugs supply from two premises with drugs warrants in a Worcester Street. If we receive concerns around drug dealing, then we will let ourselves in. One male arrested and a number of items seized. The team will continue to target those suspected of criminal activity on our area. Police have issued a warning after someone impersonating a police officer scammed an elderly woman out of £7,500 in Worcester. Detective Inspector Emma Wright said on January the 29th we received reports of a victim in her 80s sadly falling foul of a courier fraud scam which has been targeting elderly and vulnerable people in Worcester. Several victims have been defrauded of thousands of pounds across Worcestershire recently and while our investigations are ongoing, if the public could please let elderly and vulnerable friends, family and neighbours know that no police officer will ever instruct you to go to a bank and withdraw money for an investigation. No police force or bank will telephone you with questions about your accounts. No police force will ever send a courier to your home or to meet you to collect the money. If you've been a victim or think you or someone you know has been a victim of this vile scam, please call us on 101 or visit us online and report it as soon as possible. This comes after police issued a warning last month for people to be on their guard following reports of attempted courier fraud in Worcester. West Mercia Police said there were several reports of courier fraud attempts on elderly and vulnerable people during a 24-hour period as lockdown began. Courier fraud is when a fraudster contacts victims by telephone purporting to be a police officer or bank official in an attempt to con them out of thousands of pounds. A similar warning was also issued last October when criminals pretended to be police officers and attempted to defraud people in the county. After those concerns, D.I. Wright said this type of fraud targets older, vulnerable people and we would urge everyone to tell someone by passing on the information about the bogus callers to relatives and to friends. A little bit more about the COVID infection. The city's coronavirus infection rate has dropped again and is, levels not seen, is at levels not seen since December. But areas of the city with high infection rates are still causing concern. According to latest figures, Worcester's infection rate was 294.4 cases per 100,000 people in the week to February the 2nd, with a total of 298 cases being reported that week. The last time the rate was below 300 cases per 100,000 was during the Christmas period and shows the rate has halved since early January, likely due to the effect of lockdown. The highest infection rate in Worcester was in Dines Green and St John's that had a rise to a rate of 498 cases per 100,000 people in the week to February the 2nd. There was a similar story in Ronxwood and Nunnery Wood that also had a rise to a rate of 458 cases per 100,000. Worcestershire's rate is now at 257.5 per 100,000 people, a drop from the 311.7 cases in the week to January 27th. 
So those are the latest figures. A mother and daughter from Worcester have shaved their heads to raise funds for a charity close to their hearts. Sheena McKenzie and her daughter Asha McKenzie Wilson, aged 12, braved the shave for St Richard's Hospice last week. The duo are fundraising in memory of Miss McKenzie's former partner, Rob Furness, also known as Ernie, who was cared for at St Richard's in 2001. Ernie was supported at home by a St Richard's nurse and following his death the support continued with Miss McKenzie receiving counselling. Such was her experience, she decided that she too wanted to become a counsellor and now years on works as a counsellor within the hospice's family support team. It was Ash's idea to take on the bold fundraising challenge, something they say has really cheered the family in lockdown. Miss McKenzie said, although Asha never met Ernie, she's aware that loving and losing him long before she was born changed the course of my life. I think I might be a kinder, wiser, stronger person than I was before. I'm not sure that this would have been the case if I had not had the support of the hospice counsellor after Ernie died. She helped me make sense of my experience of grief. I went on to train as a counsellor, inspired by this experience, and amongst other things, wanting to give back what I had received. Shaving our heads for St Richard's is another way of us giving back, helping support care for patients and their loved ones when they need it. So far we've raised more than £1,000, which is an absolutely fantastic amount. Asher added, we set up a Just Giving page to fundraise and it's been brilliant watching the donations come in while we're stuck at home learning online. Shaving our heads together was a lot of fun and is something we'll never forget. Speaking about the Brave Pairs Charity Challenge, Tricia Cavell, fundraising director for the hospice, said, It's a wonderful selfless act by Sheena and Ash and we're incredibly grateful for their support. Sheena has seen from her own personal experience and her work in the hospice the huge difference our care and support makes to people when they need us most. They've stepped up to help when our fundraising income has taken a real hit from the pandemic and we want to say a huge thank you. A major clean-up operation has begun at a city garage after a devastating fire last Sunday afternoon, the 7th of February. The fire broke out underneath a bus parked outside the Henwick Road garage, says owner Durham Sheen. The 76-year-old, who has owned the garage since 2007, said he felt lucky nobody was seriously hurt. He said, I was working in the office when I heard a bang outside. I went to investigate and saw a bus had caught fire. It spread in seconds, destroying all the cars around it and the garage door. It was very bad. We were lucky no one was hurt. I got away and called the fire brigade. They were here putting it out for a good couple of hours. Now we must start the clean-up. It will be at least a month until we can reopen. There is a lot of damage, but at least we are safe. Residents from all over St John's reported seeing the thick black smoke coming from the garage just after midday on Sunday. Fire crews were called to the scene at 12.37pm and Henwick Road was closed for a short time whilst the fire was dealt with. Station Commander Adrian Farmer said at the time, 
We contained the fire and didn't want it to spread inside the workshop as gas bottles were inside, which could have exploded. There is no danger to anyone living in the area and we have secured it and will be leaving shortly. A spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, four crews, three from Worcester and one from Malvern, plus a drone, were called to a building fire in Henwick at 12.37 on the 7th of February. The fire, which was at a garage and included around five vehicles, was fought using a hose-reel jet and with two firefighters using breathing apparatus. Acetylene and oxygen cylinders were present but not involved in the fire. Damping down of the vehicles carried on during the afternoon and the incident was marked as pending closure at 14.47 before a reinspection took place at 1600 hours. Henwick Road was closed in both directions from the junction of Oldbury Road and the Bullring and the incident was eventually closed at 16.31. The row over Amazon's halted potential move to the city has been reignited after the online retail giant's announcement of new jobs nationally. We previously reported during a full council meeting held last September that Cabinet Member Councillor Ken Pollock said Amazon had asked the council for permission to open at Worcester 6 Business Park off the M5 motorway only for it to be turned down. At the meeting, County Councillor Richard Udall said it was a disgusting decision to prevent hundreds if not thousands of potential jobs coming to the city. Amazon this week announced 1,000 new UK apprenticeships this year with the roles paying around £10 an hour, amounting up to around £30,000 per year for degree-level apprenticeships. Councillor Udall said he predicted this type of job creation and said it could have been in Worcester. We missed our big time on Amazon coming to Worcester, the St John's councillor said. I know they are a controversial employer, but I would rather have the jobs than no jobs. The consequences are significant for many people in Worcester seeking employment. Let's hope they won't be put off permanently and will look at Worcester again. But Councillor Pollock said it had not been a decision to block the online giant from moving into the city taken by him or Worcester City Council. It was not me or Worcester City. It was because the application did not conform to the planning requirements set down by Witchhaven District Council. Because Worcester 6 in Witchhaven... Because Worcester 6 is in Witchhaven Council. Sorry, sorry, Councillor Pollock said. It wasn't a question of we don't want Amazon or anything like that. There is absolutely no reason we wouldn't welcome Amazon in the appropriate conditions. Councillor Pollock added Amazon had previously been revealed as the likely firm to be be leased a huge building at Redditch Gateway. That's the point. Within the county they are welcome, but they have got to come to the right place and the right planning conditions. A resident has said a new junction layout is so dangerous he fears a fatal crash is just a matter of time. The man was speaking after the latest crash, which was on the morning of Monday the 6th of February, which saw a man taken to hospital after being cut from a car that had hit a wall and telegraph pole on the A38 Worcester Road on the Copcut Junction opposite the Copcut Elm pub. 
Firefighters had to cut the roof off the BMW to free the man after the crash, which took place around 7.30am. A spokesman for West Midlands Ambulance Service said the man did not suffer major injuries, but he was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The Worcester News recently reported on another crash at the Copcut Junction between a motorbike and a car on January the 17th when people were injured. A nearby resident said Monday's crash was the fourth at the location since the new junction layout opened last September. I was getting ready to leave for work and heard a massive bang, the man said. One is bad enough. After four in a few months, people need to see what is going on. I want to convey how dangerous this junction now is. It is because there is an overtaking lane there. People are racing down there at 60 miles an hour. Each time there is a crash, residents are having to look after people who could be dying on the road until the emergency services turn up. It should be you can only turn right there and there is only one line of traffic going straight. If there was a barrier there, you could only turn right. The junction is now an absolute nightmare. A lorry could T-bone someone. There will be meeting after meeting until someone dies. They will only do something if someone dies. This is all happening in a lockdown. Imagine rush hour traffic there. It will be carnage. Worcestershire County Councillor Tony Miller, whose division of Bowbrook covers the area, said, I do have concerns. The junction has not yet been adopted by the council. It may need to be reviewed. A spokesman for Red Row Homes, who were joint developers with Persimmon Homes, in charge of work at the junction, did not respond before the paper's deadline. Worcestershire County Council also did not respond before the deadline. A student with ambitions to play for Worcester Warriors had a change of plan and has been doing his bit in the pandemic. Last March, Tom Sadler was entering the final stages of his physiotherapy degree at the University of Worcester and had just secured his first job with the NHS. And perhaps most excitingly of all, he had just been selected to play for Worcester Cavaliers, the A-team for Premiership Pro Rugby outfit, the Worcester Warriors. Then the COVID-19 outbreak turned Tom's plans on their head and slammed the brakes on his burgeoning rugby career. At 21 years old and playing regularly for both the university team and local semi-pro outfit Bromsgrove, being given the chance to step into a Cavaliers shirt and play alongside full-time professionals from the Warriors squad could have been his big break. Instead, Tom finished his dissertation while locked down at home and then joined the NHS early to play his part in holding back the Covid tide. Far from finding starting his first job in the midst of a global pandemic intimidating, Tom, who works at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, said he was grateful for the opportunity. Although newly qualified, Tom didn't balk at the challenge of joining an NHS under extreme pressure. It felt like a privilege to be trusted to qualify early and to be able to help people in their hour of need, he said. Working in a pandemic is all I've known, really, he said. I work with colleagues who have 20 years of experience or more and they haven't seen anything like this either so in that sense we're all in the same boat 
I still have big ambitions in the game. I might earn that chance again. I am missing rugby, but I have a lot to learn as a physio each and every day, and that's enough for now. I just want to get my head down and do my best for each patient that I see. A twice-rejected plan to convert a workshop into a two-bed home will still not be allowed to go ahead after a government inspector backed the City Council by throwing out an appeal. The controversial plan, which would have seen an old carpentry workshop in Seabright Avenue converted into a two-bed home, was rejected in June last year for not having enough parking spaces. An appeal was made to the government's planning inspectorate but was dismissed after the inspector agreed with Worcester City Council that the plan would cause more parking problems in the busy residential street. Residents and local councillors spoke out against the plan in June after the County Council's Highways Department said it should be refused for not providing any new car parking spaces in the already crowded and congested street. Planning Inspector Rachel Walmsley said she had seen the parking problems during a visit to Seabright Avenue and allowing another home to be built would cause more issues. Vehicles are parked <coughs> on both sides of Seabright Avenue, with vehicles on one side of the road mounting the pavement to allow vehicles to pass, a report by the planning inspector said. Notwithstanding the changes made to the parking arrangements on site, the proposed parking would be severely restricted. Several neighbours in Seabright Avenue, Camp Hill Avenue and London Road had objected to the plan, saying allowing the work to go ahead would also invade their privacy. Another plan to convert the workshop into a home was rejected again by the council in September. The developer defended the plan, saying a home would generate less traffic and congestion in the area than if it was allowed to stay as a workshop. The parking spaces for the existing dwelling would have little room for a driver to open the car door and enter the vehicle from the side of the property, the inspector's report continued. The driveway is narrow and with no turning space, drivers would need to enter or exit in reverse gear. That manoeuvre would be close to parked vehicles, which would restrict the visibility of oncoming road users. All in all, it is highly likely that drivers would choose to park more conveniently on street. From what I saw on my site visit, Seabright Avenue is subject to parking pressures. Without detailed survey information to indicate otherwise, my findings suggest that the proposed development would add notably to this pressure, increasing the competition for parking. In turn, the appeal proposal would lead to an increase in convenience to road users and unsafe highway conditions. A magistrate asked if she could gag a reporter by restricting his article on an abusive man's, man's violent threats in front of Worcester children because he had learning difficulties. City Magistrate Sue Doughty asked her clerk if she could impose a press restriction on the reporting of the case of 31-year-old Nathan Ellis at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, but was told she had no right to do so. 
her inquiry about whether she could impose such a draconian measure came just a week after she and a colleague granted a solicitor's request the address of a teenager suspected of an arson attack in Evesham should not be published. This Section 11 order was made despite the address having previously been published. At this hearing, the reporter was not asked by magistrates if he wished to make representations or contest the order following the application by Worcester solicitor Sam Lambsdale. The reporter explained the address had already been published and was in the public domain. He was then asked to leave the court and remove all references to the suspected arsonist's address. This week, Ellis of Sycamore Road admitted using threatening behaviour and bad abusive words likely to cause harassment, alarm or distress and obstructing a constable in the execution of his duty in Worcester City Centre at around 1pm on December the 22nd. His behaviour became so unruly he had to be sprayed by police with parva spray. Usually only children, defendants under the age of 18, and sexual assault victims are granted anonymity, although a court does have powers to withhold certain details such as names and addresses in certain very exceptional circumstances, but never for the comfort of defendants. Despite her request, the magistrate was told by the court clerk the bench had no powers to make such an order in relation to Ellis because he was an adult. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, said Ellis clenched his fist and was described as being abusive to the officer and abusive generally. He said this takes place in a public place with members of the public about. There was much profanity and a crowd had formed. There were children involved. He was arrested for a public order matter and he continues to be abusive. The officer used parva spray, preparing for what was possibly a punch heading their way. Ellis was arrested. Barry Newton, defending, said his client had a learning disability and attended court with his mental health support worker and his grandfather. He has been in supported accommodation for two or three years. Mr Newton said this incident, on another occasion with different personalities involved in terms of the officers, may have resulted in him being calmed down. Mr Ellis can't remember who he was arguing with. Magistrates granted Ellis a conditional discharge for 12 months. After the verdict, Mrs Doughty, the chairman of the bench, could be heard to say to her clerk, can we make a press order because of his learning disability? However, court clerk Hugh Jones replied, no, he's an adult. The Worcester Cathedral is now being used as a coronavirus testing site. Rapid lateral flow testing in partnership with the Department of Health and Social Care will be available to residents who don't have any symptoms at Worcester Cathedral between 10am and 5.45pm Monday to Saturday. Testing will be available for people with no symptoms aged 18 and over from February the 3rd. Appointments must be pre-booked using an online booking link, which is www.worcestershire.gov.uk forward slash lateral flow testing. Rapid turnaround uh, tests are a new type of technology which provide results within an hour. They do not require a laboratory to process. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director for Public Health in Worcestershire, said The cathedral is such an iconic building 
I'm delighted it is going to be used as a rapid flow testing centre. This will add to our efforts to reduce the spread of the virus and mean even more choice of venues for those wanting to get a rapid test in the city. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, Great to see our 1,000-year-old cathedral playing its part in the national effort against Covid and I'm glad that mass community testing is now available for Worcester residents. The Dean of Worcester, Peter Atkinson, said, After taking the difficult decision to suspend public worship at Worcester Cathedral to help contain the spread of COVID-19, I am proud that we are now able to further support the city's efforts to drive down transmission rates by offering the Cathedral for the Community Testing Initiative. Thanks to the support of Worcestershire County Council, we have been able to do this while also continuing to open for socially distant private prayer from 11am to 1pm, Monday to Saturday. We continue to pray for the community daily by means of our online services and this is a proactive way of putting our prayers into action. Tributes have been paid to a committed former evening news newspaper editor who died suddenly aged 69. Andrew Martin was the editor of the evening news in the 1990s, now known as Worcester News. Veteran Worcester News reporter Mike Price said he was great at the job and a very good cricketer too, captaining Fladbury Cricket Club. David Wood, former sub-editor at the Worcester News and Cotswold Journal, said Andrew took me on as a sub-editor at Worcester in 1997. I only worked for him for a relatively short time, but my abiding memory was my job interview. It was more of an informal chat than a grilling. I was living in Shipston-on-Stour in Warwickshire at the time, about an hour away, and Andrew's main question to me was, how long did it take you to drive from Shipston to Worcester? I think I got offered the job almost on the spot. It was my easiest interview ever, and I'll be eternally grateful to Andrew for taking me on and allowing me to have 16 great years at Barrows Towers. Former Worcester News photographer Aaron Manning said... Andrew was editor when I joined the Worcester Evening News as a photographer many years ago. He always encouraged me as a snapper and helped me steer my career as news photographer. My condolences to his family. Mr Martin took over from Steve Rogers as editor of the coastal titles including The Real Journal, North Wales Pioneer and North Wales Chronicle in 2012. He had been with the company then, NWN Media, now NewsQuest, for six years. During that period, he also edited the Denbyshire Free Press. Andrew, who was married to Sue, planned to retire late 2019, early 2020, but continued to work. Andrew, who had grown-up children, Melissa, Adam and Nicholas, and four grandchildren, was also working as editor of North Wales Living magazine. He died suddenly on February the 4th at 12.15am. The council is looking to buy an historic cinema as part of a multi-million pounds to create a new arts venue in the city. Worcester City Council was successful in its almost £18 million bid to the government for several projects, including transforming the almost 100-year-old Scala Theatre on the corner of the city centre's Angel Place and Angel Street into an arts, theatre and music venue. 
Council reports say negotiations continue with the owner of the Scala over the sale, but an agreement has been reached over buying the neighbouring Grade 2 listed Corn Exchange building in Crown Passage. The cost of buying the buildings has not yet been revealed and will be discussed by councillors in secret. Committee reports also show the council will be buying three buildings in Forget Street, including Takeaway Jacques Kitchen, which, Chicken, sorry, <laughs> which will be demolished, as well as an estate agent's Taylor's and the Craft Inn Bar. The cost of the deal, as well as compensation to the takeaway owners, has also not been revealed. The council said in July that it had around £410,000 already set aside for buying and demolishing the chicken shop, but admits the current budget will unlikely cover the plan and will likely need more money in the future. Councillors will have met on today, February the 9th, to give the green light to the move following the news of the successful government funding bid at the end of last year. The City Council revealed its plan to create a northern quarter in Worcester City Centre as part of the government's future high streets fund in July last year. The successful bid means the area around Angel Street and Angel Place, the Forget, the Cross and Trinity Street would be completely regenerated to create an urban neighbourhood focusing on new shops, cafes, restaurants and bars, a new performance and arts venue and other cultural facilities, some family-friendly attractions as well as housing and office space transforming it into a destination for young people and families. The work would cost around £29 million, with the City Council and other local partners putting forward £11 million alongside the government money. Strong links between the new Northern Quarter and nearby arches would also be created. The City's arches are currently being transformed as part of a £4.5 million work to create another cultural hub for creative businesses and the arts and create a direct link between Worcester Forget Street, the Hive and the Riverside. Fraudsters claiming to be from the NHS are contacting unsuspecting victims via email, sending a fake invitation to be vaccinated that includes a link to a website to register for the vaccine. However, legitimate vaccine emails require no such registration. The Chartered Trading Standards Institute said that text messages had also been sent out, including links to fake NHS websites that also recipients for bank detail that asked recipients for bank details, supposedly for verification purposes. Catherine Hart, lead officer at CTSI, said the vaccine brings great hope for an end to the pandemic and lockdowns, but some only wish to create even further misery by defrauding others. The NHS will never ask you for banking details, passwords or PIN numbers, and these should serve as an instant red flag. A woman has said she would not be here today if it wasn't for the help she received from a mental health service. And Laura Pugh says she is so passionate now about mental health, she wants to work for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire Healthy Minds Service.
The 51-year-old was speaking in support of the National Time to Talk Day, which was on uh, Thursday of last week. The campaign encouraged people to talk about their problems and seek help for mental health problems. Ms Pugh said she sought help from the service after moving to Ross-on-Wye from Hertfordshire. It has only been through the help of local services since I have been here that I was diagnosed for the depression I have had for years, she said. I had three lots of brain surgery for epilepsy, which doesn't help, and one of the side effects was depression. Anxiety and agoraphobia has then come along with it. You don't realise these things until it all comes to a head. I have been using the Healthy Mind service for at least three years. One of my GPs suggested it. I wouldn't be here today in body or soul if it wasn't for the Healthy Mind service. I would have weekly, then monthly meetings which were invaluable. One of the hardest things is admitting you have a problem, the embarrassment of it. I used to think, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm crying because it is that time of the month or I'm having a down day. The mental health services we have round here are amazing. Mental health wasn't talked about among people of my generation, but there is still a long way to go. I'm studying mental health now. I want to give something back. Phil Morgan Henshaw is the service manager for the Healthy Minds Service in Herefordshire and Worcestershire and said, It's all about acknowledging mental health needs are as important as physical health needs. Where we need to get society societally is, is we need to be better at observing mental health dips and seeking appropriate assistance. In the same way you would for a physical ailment that becomes worse, you would seek attention. If you have a mental health issue that becomes worse, then come to talk to us. Mr Morgan Henshaw added the key message was also that even during this pandemic they are open for business and run virtual group activities at the moment which can be joined remotely from home. The service can be contacted on 0300 302 1313 or visit healthyminds.whct.nhs.uk. The thought for the day um, is Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. And now we have the uh, deaths which have been announced in the paper for the last week. Um, as you will be aware, but I will remind you that funerals now are by invitation because of the restriction on numbers. And these first few don't have dates of funerals. David Henry, known as Father Lawrence, passed away on the 16th of January. 
donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice can be um, sent to uh, the Cooperative Funeral Care. Their telephone number is 01905 22137 or sent directly to the charity. John Clark passed away on the 24th of January. A private cremation will take place. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to E.J. Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Jean Brettel, uh, Mrs B, known as Brown Owl or Jenny B, um, of Droitwich, um, her date of birth is 17.633. She passed away 31st of January. Uh, private cremation, a grand memorial service of Thanksgiving at a later date. Donations if desired to Girl Guiding or the Norby Theatre, care of George Crump and Son, funeral directors, 33 Hanbury Road, Droitwich Spa, WR9 8PW. Keith Radcliffe, formerly of Checkets Lane, passed away January 27th. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Details as before. Ida F- Ellen Phillips passed away January 25th. Uh, we're not sure exactly where she lived. There's no funeral director mentioned there. Shirley Francis, née Brewer, sadly passed away January the 7th. Funeral service is on the 9th, will have taken place today, the 9th of February. Donations for Acorns Children's Hospice can be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR1 1UW. Linda Marie Caldicott passed away peacefully on January the 11th. Her funeral service will have taken place on February the 11th. Um, it will be too late to visit uh, to view the service from your own home. Um, donations, if desired, to Mental Health Foundation, um, AV Band for details. Uh, which is, I'll repeat, 01905 Also, the funeral will have taken place on the 11th, of, is that of Robert Walter, known as Bob Duke, who passed away on the 21st of January. A donations, if desired, for Macmillan nurses can be uh, sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Details as before. Maureen Phyllis Field passed away 15th of January. Funeral service will have taken place on the 12th of February. And donations to cancer research can be sent to um, care of...